is a beauty. Today, mashed potato. Who doesn't like mashed potato? Many, many different ways of doing mashed potato. Can he has dreamed about this his whole life. Today I'm making one of my favorite things to eat in the world. Mashed potatoes. I love mashed potatoes. You're going to love my mashed potato, I promise you. Hello there, my massoof mashers. It's Chappie, your British butler. Keep calm and cauliflower cheese. Episode 194 today. How's you doing? I'm doing very, very well. So let's just talk quickly about the forgotten uh, seasonal mashed potato. Now, most people just eat mashed potatoes in the autumn, spring, uh, winter time. But during the summer, they're forgotten. It, the imposter arrives, the potato salad. And I've had so many bad potato salads. If you want to make a good potato salad, by the way, lots of mustard and pickles and pickle juice is the key. And... Hard-boiled eggs. I know a lot of you out there do not like hard-boiled eggs. That's the key to a good potato salad. But nothing can defeat the mashed potato, even in the summertime. Now, if you've got some bangers there, if you're cooking some bangers, if you're cooking some dogs on the grill, then I love it. You know, you just dip that dog in the mashed potato. You could put some, you could put some ketchup in there. Do a whole sort of river nile of ketchup and mustard in the mashed potato. And use your dog, dip your dog in the mash, and that's going to be absolutely fantastical, fantastical. It really is. So don't forget mashed potato this summertime. If you're having barbecues this weekend in America Memorial Day in the UK, there'll be lots of coronation chicken, lots of trifles going for the Jubilee celebrations this coming week. But don't forget the Commonwealth Garden mashed potato, because also, you know, split open your naan bread and put the mashed potato in there and start rolling it out, rolling it, roll the pin, rolling the pin of the, of the uh, naan bread in the, with the mashed potato and some uh, English peas in there. And that makes a delicious filled naan bread. So do not forget mashed potato this, this coming summer. It's, it's, it's a hidden treat. It's a forgotten treat in the whole pantheon of summer grilling that everybody's going to be doing. I hope you're doing well. I've discovered something that I absolutely love to do. Love to play golf, but I found that I actually like fishing balls out of the um, water hazards even more. And I mean, there's so many. You don't need a, a fly reel. You don't need a maggot or anything. These are, these, are, these are fish that you can catch very, very easily. And there's so many colorful balls these days, I've noticed. But I'm going to get myself, I think, one of those periscopic... Um, ball finders that basically extends it's extendable it's almost like a periscope going out and you can fish the balls as easy as you want and it fits in your golf bag as well so i think this could be my uh, my secondary hobby behind golf how's about it then i think we need to get one of those extendable uh, golf ball things and also the balls are nice and clean when they're in the water as well yes luckily there's no crocodiles in Colorado although there are snakes I didn't see any snakes yesterday but uh, my love saw three snakes and I didn't see them so I don't know if she's like imagining snakes now I mean many people say this having a relationship with me you're imagining snakes all the time anyway hope you're having a lovely weekend the long weekend here we're going to ease you into it I have to find myself a reinforced hammock today as I eat my little pot of mashed potatoes love the idea of a hammock but I'm also always a little bit 
a little bit hesitant about uh, about jumping up, easing myself into a hammock because of the problems I've had with deck chairs over the years, like breaking rather flimsy deck chairs. And I imagine if I have a flimsy hammock, it could be the same sort of problem. So I'm going to be looking for reinforced hammocks. I need to find myself a nice tree, a little bit of shade, Panama to go over the eyes. And that sounds like a rather lovely weekend, doesn't it? Before we close the chapter on mashed potato, it was a recipe that made Jean Robichon, the Michelin star chef of the century, died aged 73, famous and everybody else fat. There's several versions of restaurants famously consisting of a two to one potato to butter ratio. The chef, Tom Aitkins, the British chef who worked for Robichon in the early 90s, described how it took two hours every ounce of the shell serbal grease to make and included more butter than spud. There's a video of Robichon in the kitchen hassling some poor underling with a whisk to add encore de beurre, encore de beurre, encore de beurre. The irony, of course, that five years later, uh, Robichon gave up eating butter and a few other things as he told the New York Post. Still, some dishes have kept as the best thing in the world title quite consistently as this silken, creamy mashed potatoes best eaten in tiny helpings. For successful mashed potatoes, salt the cooking water when it is cold and salt the finished puree carefully. If you can, use a food mill or potato ricer instead of a blender or food processor. When the potato has gone through the ricer, put the saucepan over the medium heat and turn it vigorously with a wooden spatula to dry it out a bit. Stir in the butter first and the whole milk later, finishing mixing with a whisk for a lighter puree. So you need one kilograms of spuds, uh, preferably rote, scrubbed, unpeeled, coarse salt, 250 grams of butter. Now that's going to solve any sort of butter mountain you have. Diced and kept well chilled under until use. 250 milliliters of whole milk and then salt and pepper. Put potatoes in a saucepan, two liters of cold water, one tablespoon of coarse salt. Bring to a simmer. Drain the potatoes. Peel them. Put them through the potato ricer or food mill fitted with the finest disc. In, in, into a large saucepan, turn the heat to medium, dry the potato, flesh out, turning it vigorously with a spatula for five minutes. Meanwhile, rinse a small saucepan, pour out the excesses of water, do not wipe them dry, and add the milk, bring to the boil. Turn the heat under the potatoes to low, incorporate the well-chilled butter bit by bit, stirring it energetically for a smooth, creamy finish. Pour in the very hot milk in a thin stream, uh, still over a low heat, still stirring briskly. Uh, st- keep stirring until all the milk is absorbed. Turn off the heat and taste with salt and pepper. Even for a lighter, finer puree, put it for a fine sieve before serving. There we go. There's Joel Robichon's a famous butter potato recipe. And yesterday on the podcast, we asked if it would be possible to inflate pajamas. Now, I bring this to you as well. How about cold underpants? Because I imagine that if your nether regions are cooler, it may help you sleep better. I don't know. Maybe we should do some research and talk about this later on the show. We also found out that penis art is indeed on the rise. Uh, Charlie Wynn, the uh, famous uh, florist, also who'd like to tipple, was planting uh, flowers doing his florist activities in the gravel late at night with his head basically in the dust here. Uh, Also, my uh, grandfather joining the Mile High Club as well, uh, whilst wearing a very tight grenadier garb knot uh, tie. Uh, Gouts returning. Uh, We talked about beekeeping, how easy it is to uh, become a beekeeper. My dad had 20,000 bees in his garden. 
did for one hasty second there consider becoming a beekeeper. Uh, yes, that's been put, put on the shelf, I think, probably by my mother here. Uh, today, though, we're going to be talking about breaking the bread, how I tried to persuade the baker to sell me a huge bag of slightly stale bread. Uh, also, trying not to breathe on one's partner at night. I'm not talking about bad breath initially. initially. Uh, also, Elon Musk allegedly offered a horse for sex. Yeah, well, let's allegedly say that. Uh, not liking pumpkin pie. Uh, the legs are completely off the bed. No wheels on my wagon anymore. Uh, also, have eccentric or slightly eccentric uh, Apple feature. Uh, it also, uh, have you ever thought about a, a new business model, going into men's houses and breaking their beds and then charging them to repair it? Basically, you're a repair man who breaks beds and then uh, repairs them, uh, obviously with, with a charge there. Uh, have you ever had a Charlie horse as well? Could it be you're not having enough bananas? Uh, why putting your foot on metal helps if you do have a Charlie horse as well? Is my sweat very, very sticky? The origins of Butterfingers, old farts, quizzes. We need more bunting, I tell you. I need, I tell you, have you got enough? I, I, I've been looking everywhere. I, have you got any bunting? I need some bunting for Jubilee. Have you got any bunting? Anyway, losing my Britishness as well. Uh, Kitty City, Kitty City, <laughs> it's like Sean Connery. I'm just wondering if you've got a, you've got a, a Kitty Shetter, or Kitty Shetter, Shetter, Cutty Shetter, Kitty Shetter, or a Kitty Nanny. It's like uh, Jules Holland's Hoot Nanny, it's a Kitty Nanny. We'll be talking about the Kitty Nannies. Are seven cats too much? Is it too much? I uh, hope you enjoyed National Fish and Chips Day. I like my uh, chips and fish coated in vinegar dash of ketchup as well absolutely lovely but plenty of the malt vinegar thank god i can find malt vinegar these days in the u.s i was talking to my dearest mother the other day and uh we're thinking about how talk about mashed potato being lost in the seasons but beef cobbler has been lost in time i remember having beef cobbler at uh, school basically like a beef stew with um almost like scones on top now, I didn't realize it was an entire scone that went to, like a massive scone or scone. Are you a scone or scone person? I'm a scone, I think. Um, on top of the beef cobbler, but it's completely diff- disappeared. And I was trying to sort of find out the origins of the beef cobbler. And basically, it is as you would expect, one meaning of to cobble is to put together hastily or roughly. This is this is a beef cobbler used to be a fairly quick meal. The early American settlers used to make a fruit dish with dough without following a recipe or exact measurements of the ingredients as baked in an oven and became known as a cobbler because of the haphazard way it was put together. A little bit like this podcast, Chappie the Cobbler. In the early days of a cobbler, was a person who mended shoes. It comes from the word cobbler, uh, with a word of unknown origin, which meant uh, someone who mended shoes. The word cobbler appeared in surnames by the late 13th century. Many surnames of it in English represent occupations, so the activity has existed before then, and people doing that work subsequently were called cobblers. But cobbling together this dish here, now I know nothing about really the fruit version of this, but I think it originated with the meat version, like a beef cobbler, with those uh, roughly put together scones on top of it. But you cannot find it for love nor money. It's like a good hot pot these days. 
And I know it's going to be a searing 90 degrees out there and I'm like talking about hot pots, but you cannot find the beef cobbler, but to cobble one together. I mean, I think it's one to put in your diaries, put a little reminder, come like September, October, I think a cobbler would be a rather delicious meal. And with the Joe Robichon mashed potatoes, that's going to be a winner-winner beefy dinner. So have you ever had your partner tell you not to breathe on them? Now, I wondered, first of all, when I first heard this, maybe it had been a breath issue, because you basically smell like a horse's ass, your breath, uh, when you fall asleep, and you're like, you know, it's about my dog, always like, you know, it's always that sort of thing going on. The more you do that, the worse your breath, you uh, need to like, uh, basically clean your mouth out with bleach, toothpaste, and then get the tongue scraper out as well. As my dear sister always said, you always need a tongue scraper and she would put a tongue scraper in my stocking most years i think she was telling me something in the days when i liked the odd cigar and you know a cigar makes the tongue rancid absolutely rancid there's nothing worse than a than a cigar laden and coated tongue um but no it wasn't anything to do with the breath apparently i breathe like darth vader whenever i'm asleep and it and it you need like a hairnet on or something because your hair's moving all over the place but there's gale force winds coming from my breath. I'm a heavy breather. I never knew this before. I don't want it because I mean, I think it's an arrestable offense as well as well as being like a peeping Tom or something. But I, I don't want to be known as a Darth Vader breather. I don't think it's a good thing. I think it's a horrible thing. <sighs> That's, a, that's how I breathe at night, apparently. And it's very, very disconcerting uh, for, for my loved ones. So I'm a little bit worried about this. So now, like trying to bury my head in the pillow, not like that, come on, take your mind out of the gutter, and uh, stop breathing on, on, on her. I mean, it's an absolute abomination, really. But now I'm worried about suffocating myself with my head's in the pillow, but it will save her from uh, a fate worse than death. It's, it's basically the dark side of Vader, and she now knows the uh, she now knows the force of it. So, I told you that we're a carb-laden treat here on Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese Bread, cheese. Well, that cheese isn't technically carbs, is it? Potatoes. Anyway, more potatoes for you. Chalk and or chocolate bar with cheese and onion crisps inside. It started. Nearly a decade ago, in New York, when a croissant met a donut, and the world went wild for their love child, the cronut. According to experts, this is the beginning of our obsession with hybrid foods. Now, we might have the most extreme mashup yet. Cheese and onion crisps in a milk chocolate bar. The crisp brand Tato manufactured an addition of 480,000 bars which sold out of the shops in Northern Ireland in just three weeks. The one pound bars are now being sold on eBay for 5.95 each, uh, a mark of almost 300%. It's a genius, said Professor Barry Smith, taste researcher at the University of London. The brain likes to contrast in taste and texture. This has both. Cheese and onion chocolate, has a similar salt mix to peanut butter and jam, pineapple on pizza, and salted caramel. First, you get the fatty sugar of the milk chocolate, said Smith. Next, the onion, a bright note, a sharp stinging, a nippiness, which actually comes through your nose, and finally, you have the umami of the cheese, a deep, rich meatiness. 
All these different flavors are so very different and they match. Tato was known for cheese and onion crisps because in 1954 they invented them. It was the first company in the world to put the flavor otherwise found in pies and sandwiches into a powder form and onto crisps. There's the texture. Crisps are really the only ingredient that has an immediate, quick and noisy crunch because they're fractured in a number of ways and shapes uh, when you go on chewing continued smith your tongue will be chasing down all those little bits of crunchy crisps alongside the smoothness of the chocolate across your tongue which feels like it's being stroked i think this needs to have an x rating doesn't it there's so much activity in your mouth sadly there is a catch the 50 gram tato chocolate bar contains 16.95 grams of fat totaling 225 calories his secret ingredient, said Greg Tucker, a food psychologist, is the yuck factor, he said. What's exciting is there's two flavors almost 100% known, which is comforting to us. But we have no idea that doing this together, which is thrilling. New flavors stimulate a dopamine response because it's risk-reward, Tucker said. Your reptilian brain thinks this could be poisonous. I don't know what it is. Then you like it and you survive, so the threat goes away. It's a friction risk which gives you a wonderful rush. It's also great for marketing. Consumers get curious, says Lisa Harris from Harrison Hayes Food and Drink Consultancy. It is a stunt product which gives the permission to indulge. On a Zoom call the other day, I said Butterfingers. Now, I don't think I said Butterfingers for a long time. Sometimes throw in whoopsie-daisies, but Butterfingers isn't that common, really, in my uh, normally in my little sayings that I go through, little metaphors through that today. Um, but what is the meaning of Butterfing? I've never heard it before. The name playfully applied to somebody who fails to catch a ball or lets something slip through their fingers. The origin, though, in the week of the bicentenary of uh, Charles Dickens' birth, the 7th of February, 1812, it'd be nice to include a phrase coined by him. It ought not to be too difficult to find one. After all, Dickens ranks sixth on the number of English words coining an individual also list, passing over contenders like slow coach, cloak and dagger, alighted to Butterfingers, which several authorities say was invented by Dickens. Not quite a phrase, but it was coined as the hyphenated Butterfingers. It's close enough. Dickens used the term in Pickwick Papers, uh, more properly known as the Posthumous Papers of the Pickwick Club. At every bad attempt at a catch, I, every failure to stop the ball, he launched his personal displeasure at the head of the devoted individual in such denunciations as our heart, stupid, now butterfingers, muff, humbug, and so forth. It seemed, though, it was all there was to say about butterfingers. But, like to derive and delve a little further, the British Library's excellent new database of 19th century newspapers turned up a reference to Butterfingers in the Yorkshire newspaper, The Leeds Intelligencer, dated 1833 pre-Pickwick Papers. Looking closer, it appeared that the writer was quoting from he called a scarce book, The English Housewife. Delving again, I found that book written by the English writer Gervais Markham in 1615. Scarce as it may have been in 1823, it's still available today. Markham's recipe for a good housewife was, first, she must be cleanly in body and garments. She must have a quick eye, a curious nose, a perfect taste and ready ear. She must not be butterfingered, sweet-toothed, nor faint-hearted. For the first will let everything fall, the second will consume what will increase, and the last will lose time too much niceness. God, very, very naughty. Naughty male showing his pig, Mr. Markham. Markham's views aren't quite what would be accepted now, obviously. 
and his remedy for the plague a small nosegay made of tasseled end of a ship's rope. But he does not make it clear that Butterfingers was in use in 1615 with the same meaning we have for it today. Some men are likely to drop things as their hands were smeared with butter like a cook. Many of the latest examples of Butterfingers in print release is the game of cricket, which was the principal ball-catching game in England. The term is often used in an amiable taunt. Somebody fails to make an easy catch. As the word spread to another country, notably America, it was taken into the language of the local catching game, baseball, and no hobo teams were unkindly given the name. The Salt Lake Tribune reported on such in 1899, the Butterfingers will cross bats with the Salt Lake Juniors at Calder Park on Tuesday. Dickon may have missed out on Butterfingers, but he has many other words and phrases to lay claim to, and he did write some exceedingly good books. Last night, I had a real desire to buy a shed load of bread. They've got my children coming in. They're like bread fiends as well. I absolutely love bread. So, or two baguettes, like a cinnamon loaf here, and then this rather lovely sourdough that uh, had uh, melted asagio cheese inside it. Oh, absolutely marvellous stuff here, really. Um, and uh, I happened to see across the way, there were huge bags of bread. Like huge bags. I mean, this was like Santa's sack of bread. And I said to the lady, excuse me, my dear, are those bags of bread for sale? And she said, no, 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 we're giving that to the local homeless shelter. Well, felt a little bit embarrassed, but could I give you some money to take a bag of bread? I mean, I felt really bad there for a second. My greed and love of the carb-laden delight that is bread made me lose all my empathy. I mean, I was basically taking bread out of the hopelessest mouths, and, and, it, and it made me feel very bad. But you know what? I wish... You know, they would give maybe 25 of these bags to the homeless, but keep five bags where people like me could go in and buy a huge bag of stale bread. Now, I'm not going to feed it to the ducks. I'm going to eat it, I'm going to warm it in the oven, put some lovely French butter on it, and maybe not eat butter at all, but I'll eat bread without butter any day of the week. But I really wanted a bag of this stale bread, but I, I found myself crossing the line between decency and um, pure greed, basically, for crusty, slightly stale loaves of bread, which would be going to the, uh, to the homeless. For a moment there, the yeasty smell of the bread had overtaken my consciousness, my morals, and indeed, my empathy. Like a glutton who should probably be in hit with the ladle, and it took me back to Oliver Twist. He rose from the table and advancing to the master, basin and spoon in hand, he said, somewhat alarmed at his own temerity, Please, sir, can I have some more? The master is fat, healthy man, but he turned pale. He gazed in stupefied astonishment on the small rebel for some seconds and then clung for support to the copper. The assistants were paralyzed with wonder. The boys were fear. What? said the master at length in a faint voice. Please, sir. I want some more. The master aimed a blow at Oliver's head with the ladle, pinioned him with the arm, and shrieked aloud for the beadle. The board was sitting in solemn conclave when Mr. Bumble rushed into the room in great excitement and addressing the gentleman in the high chair. Mr. Limpkins, I beg your pardon, sir. Oliver Twist has asked for more. For more? For more, sir, Mr. Limpkins? Can 
poses of Bumble and answer me directly. Do I understand? He's asked for more after he'd eaten the supper allotted by the dietary. Yes, I'd had more than enough bread that day. And I, for a second there, with taking the bread out of the mouths of the homeless, I felt very, very lowly, glunked off for a rather large slice of vegan banana bread. I heard in the week from my grandma, I recounted some of the tales yesterday, but apparently at a Canadian Thanksgiving in the 70s, my grandfather basically said that he hated pumpkin pie. Really had a detest for it. And I don't think there's any English people out there who really like pumpkin pie. I mean, as I said this before, I think I said this at Thanksgiving, it's uh, it's boiled up like vegetables that no, you use a pumpkin just for carving at Halloween. That's all it's really good for. Forget putting it into puree and adding cinnamon and sugar. You could add cinnamon and sugar to anything and make it taste good. But I don't think there's any British people out there who like the idea of the pumpkin pie. Tell me if I'm wrong. Anyway, moving on here. Uh, Elon Musk apparently offered a horse... Uh, for sex. He was going to buy a young lady, a horse, allegedly, for sex. And, uh, you know, when he was asked about this, he basically said, Nay, I didn't. I mentioned this yesterday, but I don't know if you've ever had those Charlie horses in the night where it's like you're squeezing out a wet rag, but it's the, uh, it, but it's the muscle in the back of your legs. It's in the hamstring, I believe it is. And uh, I was told that eating more bananas helps with this issue so why would eating a banana help with this issue but apparently the uh, charlie horse situation is a dehydration issue eating a banana is to replace your potassium levels low potassium may be the cause of muscle cramping or charlie horses most dehydration can be the culprit drink a glass of water along with a banana if you have fewer or severe pain then contact your doctor after that. So having a nice, uh, having a nice banana arama will indeed cure your writhing pain. So more on the Charlie horse situation. Charlie horse causes poor blood flow, working your muscles too much. Well, that's definitely me. Not stretching enough, being active in high temperatures. That's me doing a triathlon when it's 100 degrees. That must be what's been doing it for me. Doing an Ironman, a Tough Mudder, during 100 degrees. That's why I get these Charlie horses at night. But the Farmer's Almanac have natural Charlie horse cures. Those painful leg and foot cramps can ruin a good night's sleep. Here's a list of best natural remedies for when one strikes. And it won't cramp your style. Ever wondered why a pain in the leg is called a Charlie horse? This is known in all American and nobody seems to know exactly why they have such an interesting name for a leg cramp. Did you know you're twice as likely to get a Charlie horse during the summertime? How do you get rid of them? So Charlie horses, the name, a lame horse called Charlie, who pulled the roller of the Chicago White Sox to the ballpark in the 1890s. Others say it's any, everything to do with baseball pitcher Charlie Radborn. His nickname was Old Hoss. And stories say he got cramps during baseball games in the 1880s. But here are the remedies. Seven of them. Number one, put your bare foot on a cold floor. Some say it'll make the leg cramp disappear. As soon as the leg cramp happens, pull your toes up towards your knee and it may disappear. Magnesium oil is a good natural remedy for muscle cramps. Massage the oil into the cramp and it'll be relieved within minutes. Take a swig of dill pickle juice. Mix a tablespoon of vinegar with a teaspoon of honey and drink it. Elevate the area. Try to raise your affected area by putting pillows 
under it or propping it up on an armrest. I said, ice may help calm down that muscle spasm, place an ice, pack a cool compress wrapped in a towel, uh, and the Charlie Hills effect, and keep it up there for 15 minutes. Or in the UK, just wrap a bit of Dumoulin on it. That'll cure it. Our good friends at Very British Problems Official on Twitter, Instagram. This is uh, from this week, Very British Problems with eating on public transportation. Number one, believing that anyone eating an egg sandwich on a train should be required to do so in the lavatory. Number two, vehemently against food on public transport unless you're feeling quite peckish. Number three, trying to minimize the deafening crunch of your crisps by holding each one in your mouth until they quietly dissolve. Number four, pulling a furious face as you wipe crumbs off your jumper so everybody knows how disgusted you are with yourself. Number five, noticing your fellow passenger eat a Big Mac and knowing that your hair will smell of dill for the rest of the day. Number six, visibly shuddering as somebody places their unpackaged sandwich directly onto their tray table. Number seven, always managing to sit next to somebody who feels the need to suck every single finger after eating. Compete with the lip smacking and sound effects. Mm, oh, no, that's absolutely lovely. Uh, <laughs> splitting somebody, gobbling a hot ready meal on the bus and wondering how that's even possible to gobble it down so quickly. Number nine, having somebody sit directly beside you opposite you, which unfortunately means you have to eat your cheese and pickle baguette at home. And number 10, feeling smug as you take a bite of your healthy scentless apple only to discover it's a much louder apple than you anticipated. So I found out the other day that a kitty sitter uh, is sometimes called a kitten nanny. So you <laughs> have... A kitten nanny. So I heard the other day that uh, there was a gentleman who was going to be moving from one state to another and he had seven cats and he wanted to make sure he had enough money to pay his kitten nanny. Now, I mean, first of all, why would you have seven cats in the beginning? And secondly, why do you need a kitten nanny to look after them? Aren't they the easiest things in the world? Don't you just need a a litter tray, uh, food, and then you're basically fine? Maybe a scratching post and some uh, catnip if you want it to go crazy. I mean, that that's a possibility. But um, do you actually need a kitten nanny to look after? What does a kitten nanny do? Does it comb the cat's fur? Does it make sure it has water? Does it make sure it has treats? Uh, does it uh, make sure the cats are even more selfish than they should be, sort of impose that type of uh, kitty disorder that they have? I mean, who knows? But I think... Uh, Maybe it's my own discrimination because I'm a dog person. And if I had seven dogs, I'd think that's perfectly normal. But seven cats is an aberration. It makes me think, though, that anybody has a kitten nanny is probably quite particular, uh, probably has uh, attention deficit disorder, be slightly uh, obsessive compulsive as well. But they always make fun of, like, cat ladies. How about cat gentlemen? I've never heard of a cat lady uh, need a kitten nanny. Imagine that uh, if the kitten nanny had to juggle maybe seven litter trays. I mean, how many litter trays do seven cats? Like, two and a half litter trays? Like, half the number for the cats? But you wouldn't want to uh, be juggling all those litter trays and drop the ball, if you know what I'm saying. 
a councillor in Wales has resigned from his role following rumours that he's Banksy. 58-year-old William Gannon became a councillor in the Pembrokeshire town of Pembroke Dock after a four-decade career as a local artist. Once he took his seat, however, Gannon said the rumours began circling that he was a notorious and anonymous Bristol-based street artist Banksy. Rumours uh, Gannon believes were started by a rival councillor. He has now added I'm not Banksy section to his official website. Speaking to the Daily Telegraph, Gannon discussed how he believes the rumours have made his position on the council untenable. There's no truth in uh, whatsoever that I'm uh, not I am not Banksy. I was in much the same place as Banksy at much the same time doing much the same as a community artist and a lot of the information crosses over. It's so ridiculous and laugh out loud funny. There's also a sinister element that jokes on me. In his letter of resignation via the Telegraph, he said it, it was felt that to protect the reputation of the town Pembroke Dock need not another controversial councillor dragging the reputation of the town through the mud. As a result of my position became untenable after consideration I sent my resignation to the town clerk. The most significant rumour around the identity of Banksy concerns Bristol duo Massive Attack reviewed the evidence back in 2016 and a pair of Banksy uh, prints sold as part of a charity auction from the band last year raised over 140000 for charity, a world record sum. Another this year, miniature Banksy model sold for $1 million at an auction. The model, which is a tiny thatched building with the words Go Big or Go Home written on it, first appeared at a model village in Great Yarmouth, Norfolk, as part of the Great British Spraycation event. The Japanese man spent approximately 3 million yen on a realistic border collie costume because he wanted to look like his favourite breed of dog. The man identified only as Toko hired Japanese company called Zeppard, which is known for creating sculptures and models for movies and commercials to create the costume. Zeppard reportedly took 40 days to make the costume as Toko went through the multiple rounds of trials and revi- uh, revisions to get it right. I made a collie because it looks real when I put it on. Uh, said the Japanese outlet Minavi. Favourite breed of animal, especially the cute ones. Among them, I thought that a big animal close to me would be good, considering that it would be a realistic model, so I decided to make it a dog. I met such a condition and made Collie my favourite breed of dog. A Zeppard employee also spoke how his team managed to figure out ways in which a dog figure can correspond with that of a human. The point at which the skeleton of a dog can be reproduced on the human skeleton of a human since the structure of the skeleton is very different. We spent a lot of time studying how to make it look like a dog. In addition, we collect photographs taken from various angles so that the beautiful coat of a collie can be reproduced and devised that the coat will flow naturally. Uh, Toko posted a video himself in the costume last month where he can be seen to be waving his paw and rolling around on the floor. The YouTuber also posted a couple of snapshots of himself as Twitter where he's posing as a collie. All the collies are very, very energetic. I mean, if he was like running around in the farm herding up sheep, that's going to be a very, very sweaty activity in his border collie costume. And a prestigious Shanghai university in China has found itself the subject of an online mockery after an attempt by coordinators to replace a practical swimming exam with an online test. On the 15th, the university's dean offered an initiative statement declaring that certain undergraduates were seeking to complete their studies 
and would have to complete a swimming test from the comfort of their own homes. Currently, many top universities in China have imposed requirements that students must be able to swim as part of the view that swimming is a precious survival skill and a way to improve fitness. But with the country still treating COVID-19 with zero tolerance, this year's swimming exams at the university were unfortunately postponed and the institution's directors and examiners were seen to fit and replace a practical exam with an online theoretical one. The classes and facilities included in the swimming pool at the university are suspended with COVID-19, said a representative, ensure that students can uh, graduate decided to conduct the swimming test online. According to reports, replacement tests would require students to log into the university's online portal and set up a number of questions. The move, however, was instantly ridiculed by Chinese netizens who uh, had a hard time finding the logic in assessing swimming skills by way of theoretical, theoretical quiz. Do you expect people to swim from their bathtubs at home? Asked one commentator, while another user filmed herself jumping on the bed and mimicking several swimming techniques while wearing a swim cap and goggles. In my mind wonders, would you get high marks for a doggy-style paddle, I wonder? Felicitations for joining the podcast today. Thank you so much. It's been a rather blast having you here. And um, I hope you're having a, a lovely weekend and a lovely long weekend getting that Barbie. And as I said earlier on, get that mashed potato going. Dip those snags, dip your sausages, dip your wieners in the mash, coat it all over with that creamy goodness, and then slaver it down. It's an absolutely marvelous way to do it. So if you like the podcast, like and subscribe where you can. I would love to see all those likes and subscribes, darlings. I love it. Also, if you uh, like listening to the podcast and just like the audio version, you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify as an audio version, Breaker, Slacker, iHeartRadio, Audible, Pandora, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, all of them. I mean, as you dip your savaloy into your mash and stir it around and lift it up again as you bite into the crispy skin you can hear the podcast of your dear host very cheesy keep calm and cauliflower cheese emanating from the bitten hot dog Betty. anyway so if you like that so please do that. It is a wonderful way of showing support. And there's a huge back catalogue now. Nearly 200 episodes of this nonsense. I mean, it's, it's, I've been locked in an insane asylum for, since April 2020. And I've been recording these podcasts. And I get more and more insane talking to myself and my darling microphone. I mean, even the microphone seems to turn up its metallic nose at me sometimes, I have to say. Okay. If you like music, though, scattered with the usual diatribe, then listen on the Butler and Porn Musical Edition playlist on Spotify, where you can have music interspersed with the rambling on, the rambling, rambling, rambling of your dearest butler. So, this week, we have some lazy, hazy days of summer. We have some Megan the Stallion butter, getting very buttery. Some sweet pie, Megan the Stallion. More, more, more. Paul McCartney. We have some Banana Rama, some Cure, some Divine Comedy, some Squeeze, some Suede. We'll be sailing off into the sunset with some really, really cheesy, soft FM style yacht rock. If you like AM music, 
but Steely Dan FM style, then you have to listen to the Butler Emporium playlist. Anyway, coming up next, we have a poem. This is Whitson Weddings by Philip Larkin. That Whitson always getting away, not till about 1.20 on the sunlit Saturday did my three-quarter empty train pull out all windows down, all cushions hot, all sense of being in a hurry gone. We ran behind the backs of houses, crossed the street of blinding windscreens, smelt the fish dock thence, the river's level drifting breadth below where Sky and Lincolnshire and water meet. All afternoon, though, the tall heat that slept for miles inland, a slow and stopping curve southwards we kept. Wide farms went on short-shadowed cattle and canals with floatings of industrial froth. A hothouse flashed uniquely, hedges dipped and rose, and now then the smell of grass displaced the reek of a button carriage cloth until the next town, new and nondescript, approached with acres of dismantled cars. At first I didn't witness what a noise the weddings made. Each station that we stopped by, sun destroys the interest of what's happening in the shade, and down the long, cool platforms whoops and skulls. I took for the porter's lack... Uh, larkers with the males and then went on reading once we started though we passed through grinning and pomaded girls in parodies of fashion heels and veils all posed irresolutely watching us go as if on the end of an event waving goodbye to someone that survived it struck i lent more promptly out next time more curiously and saw it all again in different terms the fathers with broad belts under their suits and seamy foreheads, mothers loud and fat, an uncle shouting smut, and then the perms, the nylon gloves, and jewellery substitutes, the lemon mauves and olive okras that marked off the girls, unreally from the rest, yes, from the cafes and banquets, halls up yards, and bunting dress, coach parties, annexes, the wedding days were coming to an end. All down the line, fresh couples climbed above, the rest stood round. The last confetti and advice were thrown. As we moved, each face seemed to define just at what we saw departing. Children frowned at somehow dull fathers had never known. Success and wholly farcical, the women shared the secret like a happy funeral. While girls gripping their handbags tighter stared at a religious wounding, free at last and loaded with the sum of all they saw, we hurried towards London, shuffling, Gouts of steam, now floods were building plots and poplars cast long shadows over roads and for some fifty minutes that the time would seem. Just long enough to settle hats and say I nearly died. A dozen marriages got underway. They watched the landscape sitting side by side and Odin went past a cooling tower and somebody running up a bowl and none of them of the others they thought would never meet or how their lives would contain this hour. I thought of London spread out in the sun, its postal districts packed like squares of wheat. There we aimed and we raced across bright knots of rail, past standing pullmans, walls of blackened moss came close and it was nearly done. This frail travelling coincidence at what it held stood ready to be loosed with all the power that change can give. We slowed again and as the tightened brakes took hold there were swelled a sense of failing like a arrow shower sent out sight somewhere became rain. Have a lovely holiday weekend and the Jubilee is almost upon us. Just to let you know, next week there'll probably only be one edition of the podcast. I'm getting ready to go away on a trip. Knotted handkerchiefs and Factor 100 will be at the ready. 
I mean, I, I don't mind my legs tanning, but everything else uh, is, is probably going to be pretty pale. And I burn like a piece of chicharronis, like a pigskin crackling, sitting at an old-fashioned English country pub. Anyway, until next time, cheerio for now.